0: Hello, hello everyone. I'm Soda and you are listening to the Success Palette. Today we are going to talk about addiction recovery and specifically how we can rebrand ourselves if we do fall into that trap. I know a lot of my listeners are trying to get into the entertainment industry where the pressure to use drugs and some other addictive behaviors is really really high and while we're taught in high school about the dangers of drug use and other addictive behaviors we aren't taught a lot about what to do if we do fall into that and how to recover and how it can affect our careers and how to rebrand ourselves once we've changed our lives around. And to help me out with that, I have my new friend, Bobby Hall, who is a musician and a recovered addict who is willing to share his story about how he used the artist's way to help him with his recovery and how he is currently rebranding himself. So Bobby, let's start in the beginning of how you even got into music.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that seems great. You know, I started um, music with, um, I have, I grew up with a friend of mine named Rick Ramage and uh he and I were really good friends and my cousin Brandon we were all very much into music we had a great band director in high school and so uh we all were different ages he was Rick was a year ahead and Brandon was four um but I think our mutual love for music we all hung out and it started in band and then also then I got a guitar when I was like 13 I played trumpet in high school band saxophone first i liked 50s music you know when i was a very you know like 10 11 years old
0: same
1: yeah so you know they had a lot they had some cool saxophone i guess in that music so i wanted to learn to play sax then and um uh then you know my friends and i got into band and then we got guitars and that was that's kind of a fast forward into the guitar world you know and rick and i taught each other pretty much how to play we had a mutual teacher back in the day we took uh, kind of beginning lessons, but we started when we were 13, we were both kind of gifted. And so by the time we were both 15, we were gigging like around town in a band that we had formed, you know, and, and, and then by the time we were 18, that band, we were actually in relics magazine as being one of the next up and coming jam bands to come out of the Southeast, which is like a, like a jam band magazine based out of San Francisco. So we were good, and we were kind of on our way, I guess. Um, sort of. I mean, we were making good music. We had a little band house out in Milledgeville and um, we were making good music. Um, but you know, the uh, the lifestyle choices of that sort of scene can be can be potentially problematic, you know, especially if you if you have a, an addictive kind of personality like I do, and um, the consequences of that. Led me to leave the scene. You know, I, we had, uh, our drummer actually got busted selling, uh, LSD. So it was, it was kind of a, you know, a heavy scene, man. And I got out, you know, and, and, uh, I have a brother who's got a lot of mental issues. He's 18 years ahead of me and, uh, 18 years older. So I was, I've always had this kind of red flag in my, Instincts, I think, when I get into a situation that gets a little too dark, um, because I, you know, with the addiction and coupling that with music and the music scenes that I was in, it's pretty easy to get in, in, into a, um, you know, and shared company of people who are doing some pretty, pretty heavy things, man, as far as like drugs and alcohol are concerned. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of my story up until about my mid 20s. You know, I was in and out of bands, played in a uh, the band I was in as a that we were in relics was called Stone Puppy. And then we broke up when I was about 18. After the drummer got busted, I left and um, went to work um, as a construction worker working with my brother in law. And then a couple of years later, I was just kind of lonely, I think. And I started hanging around some of my old friends and then we got back together and went to Athens and started music and got introduced again to really hard drugs. Got it. it you know, we're in the scene and man, I got really bad off there. And, um, you know, I played in another band The ba- we tried to put the original band back together and that did not work. So I played in another band out of Atlanta and we played all over the Southeast for a while. Um, you know, doing rock and roll jam band type stuff. It, and um, it was called Melodious Ground was the name of that group. And a bunch of great guys. I mean, great guys in Stone Puppy, too. You know, I mean, just I'm still friends with all these people. You know, I still, you know, if I could hang out with them, I would. But they're, you know, they live all over the country now. Like one of my friends is in Portland, one in Florida, uh, you know, and they're in Atlanta and Athens. I'm in Macon. So I still love these guys. But, uh, you know, the scenes that we're in, just I'm my personality is not uh, very well adapted to those. An addictive personality in those kind of places was was really kind of detrimental. And and I always lived with this sort of like this. Um, I think they call it officially is like a um, uh, where you feel like a fraud, you know,
0: imposter um, all, syndrome.
1: Yeah, yeah, imposter. Yeah, imposter syndrome. I definitely. I've never been diagnosed that, but definitely like have it, you know, like it was just overwhelmingly imprisoning. Like I can remember days where I was so afraid to even open my mouth and talk because of what it might reveal, you know, to the people around me that I was some kind of fraud, really, I guess, is the simplest way of putting it. That I would spend days maybe without even saying anything, you know, just living in fear all the time. And you combine that sort of dark place mentally with like heavy drugs and, you know, drug use and alcohol abuse or whatever. And it just, you know, it's a prescription for really bad experience. And so, um, you know, I had to leave the scene again, man, my, the, the band I was playing with out of Athens, we ended up moving the melodious ground moved to Athens And I ended up leaving that scene again for the same reasons, you know, it was like I could feel myself just this inner instinct of like, man, if I don't get out of this scene, I'm going to crash and burn. And I don't want to wind up like my brother, you know, he's schizophrenic. I don't want to, I've heard many stories of people who, you know, they do enough of a certain kind of drug, like, like something really powerful like a speed like cocaine or methamphetamines or crack and Or or a really powerful drug like LSD and, you know, they go into the schizophrenic zone and they don't come back, you know. And so that was a powerful motivator for me to, to get out of those scenes. Even though I loved music, I loved the guys I was playing with, I was scared of what the outcome for me personally was going to be. And, and I would get out when things would get kind of hairy and scary to me mentally inside. You know, things would just get so dark. Um, so I would leave and my friends would be like, what, you know, what just happened? Bobby just left, you know, like out of nowhere seemingly, you know, cause I wouldn't be telling them. I didn't, I didn't have the tools to communicate when I was, you know, a teenager in my early twenties to tell my friends, like, look, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I just, I didn't have it, you know? So I would just leave and, and try to start over. And I did that a bunch of times. And I finally, did that one time and um, I got sober. I I got introduced at a, um, we were playing a benefit show for a guy who I knew in my hometown who had, who had had um, a motorcycle accident and his back had been broken. And um, they were raising money to send him for an experimental surgery. And so they asked our band to play and the stone puppy, the band that I grew up, it was my hometown. They knew us, you know? And so we had a little reunion and, um, with the band and i remember at that show i weighed like 115 or 125 pounds you know i was in really bad shape and uh these two this group of girls man showed up like i knew all i knew a bunch of people from like the head scene you know like widespread panic and fish and and the grateful dead scene and the Allman Brothers scene really it was mostly panic and fish that we kind of ran around with i think you know there was just more of those shows but I knew a bunch of people from that scene and you know, there was, there was a couple of the girls that I knew from that scene came to that benefit show and they were talking about that. They, you know, they were sober and had cleaned up. And um, so I got attracted to like what, you know, I was like, I was in pretty bad shape and I knew it, you know, I mean, I knew I was, it was getting darker and darker. And so the idea that there were like, you know, these pretty girls that were fun to be around that I liked, you know, personally, uh, you know, a, and you know, found them attractive and that they had a lifestyle that they had chosen, um, you know, attracted me, man. And so I, I went into some program, like 12-step program work after that. And um and because of that experience, I got attracted to to actually get clean, you know, and not do any drugs. <laughs> That's just for me. It's you know, not everybody I know there's like the California sober thing, you know, people people kind of moderate with weed or they'll do like some microdosing or whatever. And I've tried that. It just doesn't work for me because my addictive personality won't let me, you know, I can't moderate basically. And, um, you know, so the sobriety thing hasn't been like I'm not batting a thousand. You know, I've gone in and out a little bit and I'm back sober again almost two years now. And the artist way, which is, you know, got introduced to me about through one of my really good friends in recovery right now as a painter and an artist. And, um, he, he facilitates the artist way. And, um, you know, I just thought it would be cool to give it a shot. You know, this guy, I really admire the way he handles himself, um, and look up to him, I guess, you know, in that regard. And, um, he, and, uh, so we, I, I, I joined the artist way with him, and you know, I think with the combination of having a lot of twelve-step recovery um, experience, which the girl who wrote that book has, yeah, her name is Julia Cameron, and um, I, I'm fairly certain, you know, like I'm 98% certain that she has also had, you know, experience in twelve-step programs. And um, her artist way was written in a way when when I got when I went, you know, decided to get some help for real this time. A lot of the twelve-step programs pretty much involved like a spiritual element, you know, and I really kind of thought that that was something that I have had a lot of experience with, the good and bad, and. I was going through a phase where I was kind of not real open to that and the artist way and the programs that I was in allow a lot of wiggle room for that, you know? So if I want to study some Buddhist meditation, I can study that. If I want to study, you know, like some Urquhart Toll, I can study that, you know, and, and incorporate that. It doesn't have to be some dogmatic religious thing, you know, which I living in the South, I guess, maybe it's everywhere, but I know here in, you know, in the Southeast and in Macon, you know, we got like a church on every corner and you can get a and run into a lot of judgmentalism, you know, in that, With with that kind of scene, you know, people who kind of only see things one way and it's very black and white, you know, and that's not healthy to me. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for me to think that way, to be black and white. So the the artist way kind of opened up um, me to this, to the idea that there is, you know, the idea of like recovery for artists exists and it's needed. And that it made me feel like I was a, not alone in this sort of like quest to find a way to participate with my art and to be at peace and to love it and to not be wrapped up in turmoil. The, the, you know, the fraud thing, the depression, the, the mental blocks and the creative blocks and just insecurities, you know, all of that stuff is so inherent, I think, with the vulnerability of being an artist. You know we're exposing ourselves we're in in a way you know we're we who we are gets transmitted through our work whether we you know whether it's between the lines or not right if it's you know it can be it's still there we're still having to put ourselves out there in something that's really personal to us as a product i guess to be judged and to somewhat be like you know rated ultimately it's going to be rated in some way And, um, you know, just having to, so the artist way kind of gave me a sense of community with that at a time when I really needed it. I really like to go back to the artist way, especially when I'm kind of feeling a little down musically or artistically, because the literature is directed towards that experience. If I'm feeling blocked, here's a, here's a book that I can pick up that will actually speak specifically to that, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell. So, yeah. I'll stop I, talking now. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I I love you, sorry. And I think I I feel a special connection to it because um, my my biological grandfather he's also from Georgia and was a musician and um got into the same things you did. He came out to California where he met my grandma who was also um into all that stuff too. And you know he ended up. Uh, I heard he ended up dying just alone with nobody because he didn't take the steps that you did. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just seeing that there are some people who are able to find a way out of that pattern. Like, that's why I don't, I don't drink or do any drugs or anything because I know that, you know, I have this strong family history of addiction Mm -hmm. and I love that, you know, we're, we're able to find other creative ways to, um, to to not like you could still a lot of people think he, the best way to be creative is with, you know, those drugs. Oh um,
1: yeah. That's, uh, we believe, I believe that when I was a kid, I I absolutely did. I really mm-hmm. did. And that, you know, the, to speak a little bit to that, like I, my brother, you know, I, I can remember a time when I was a y- young, like 10, 11, walking down the road with a friend of mine who's dead now because of drugs and alcohol. He's, he passed away two years ago. And, um, you know, we were walking down the road and he saw a beer can and was like, man, I can't wait to you know try beer, man. And I was, and I, at the time I was like, look, I'm never doing that. I'm not going to do that. Cause of my brother, you know, I just was not want to, but man, I mean, as soon as I had my first drink, it was like, I forgot about all about that. You know, and I started, you know, I went down that path and I really believed that speed was essential. I really felt like it was helping my brain to cope. And I thought that I had to do psychedelics to understand what I needed to understand as a musician to go where I wanted to go creatively. And I guess if that's the stuff that you want to do, and you know, if you want to be a musician who, or an artist that expresses from a state of mind that's altered, then you have to do that. But I've found that i I personally feel way more connected and just more productive and more I don't know, just, I just feel way better about my craft and my art when I'm not doing those things. I, you know, I'm more organized, I'm more disciplined, I have more follow through and I'm just more productive. And I mean, it's just, everything is better, (laughs) you know, I can think essentially, you know, and, um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, I believed it when I was a kid, I thought, I thought we had to do that stuff to do what we were doing, you know? Yeah, it's so
0: and can you explain a little bit? So, cause I know the artist's way is a, is a workbook for uh-huh. any sort of creator, like not yeah. like whether you're an artist, musician, writer, whatever. And yeah. so it sounds like what you went through was basically like a 12 step program where they use this artist, artist's way workbook. Can you talk a little bit about some of the activities and some of the exercises you would do together?
1: Yeah. So I, I kind of saw it like, um, It was sort of like a a 12 week course is what we did. And it was almost like a crash course into developing new habits, basically. And so, um, you know, you have a community which is and it's the the person who ran our community made sure that there was a safe space, you know, setting the tone to where, you know, when we come together as a community and share about the things that we're going to share about, which are. Sometimes a little scary to share about, you know, like when I was a kid, I had so and so who tried to stifle my creativity. And now my inner critic, you know, is is really loud because I had someone in my life to sort of like bang on that in a critical way. You know, somebody, maybe a family member or somebody that was maybe almost abusive sometimes, you know, and, and to talk about those things just in a general way with other people can be very scary. So some of that stuff is brought up, not not real in depth. It's not like therapy, mm-hmm. but every everybody's dealing with the inner critic, right? And it's like, where does that come from? And so one of the exercises is to do morning pages, which is just to get up and journal straight. And she recommends doing three pages every day. I'm not that disciplined. And so, and three pages is a lot. It really is about 30 minutes worth of writing. It takes about 10 minutes to, to fill up a page and i just don't want to cut that kind of time but the idea behind it and it is helpful when i do it i use it as a tool now especially when i get overwhelmed i'll journal but um it's to just do stream of consciousness you write whatever comes to mind i mean anything and everything and don't let the critics say oh y'all not write that no that's not how it works you write everything that comes to mind you just let it flow man And that is like her foundation in the, in it, you know, is to be doing the morning pages every day. And then there's an artist date that happens every week where you take yourself out and you choose something that you would, that you do by yourself. And it's like treating your inner child basically. So, so like I, when I was a kid, I loved to play, um, um, arcade games, you know, because when I was a kid, I mean, Nintendo was just barely getting started. You know, arcade games are kind of where it was at, man, until I was probably, I don't know, 13. And so as a child, when we would go on road trips, I would always look for the arcade games and want quarters, you know, to go play the arcade games. So that might be an artist day example. Let me go to the local reboot is the place they call it here and go play some arcade games or something, you know, something that my inner child would really enjoy. Maybe just go for a walk and go get an ice cream, you know, (laughs) And you're supposed to do that once a week, you know, which I have not had the discipline to keep that up. I have so many things going and, um, but, it, but it, you know, when I want to refocus about my artist, if I feel like I'm getting off kilter or I'm getting stuck, I will re reinvest into the artist way and, and start doing the morning pages more and start working on, maybe I can find time to cut out on Saturday to go on on artist day. You know, maybe I can go to the river and, go walk barefoot in the mud for a little while, you know, or something, you know, just to kind of get out and out of the, out of my space and, and breathe some fresh air and be a kid again, you know, for 30 minutes or something. And that, that's really kind of essentially it. There's a, each chapter deals with something specific. Like I'll just open randomly here. Yeah. So this chapter um is dealing with recovering a sense of identity. And so it's, one of the first things she and this is just randomly choosing a topic. I didn't I didn't you know, I'm just letting it fall to this page. And it talks about she talks about poisonous playmates and crazy makers is the headings above each little kind of mini chapter or whatever within it. And so it's a lot. It's like identifying if we have people who are toxic in our lives who are like negative, you know, and saying, Oh, you'll never amount to anything as a musician. Why are you even doing that? You know, like, ah, Lee, you're doing what? You're you, you, you paint like what, you know, like those kind of, you know, identifying that maybe those people are not the best ones to be hanging around, you know, or people that consume our time, you know, someone who's really selfish and just always wants you to be there for them. You know, is kind of the crazy maker thing. Someone who, who, you know, just wants to, to, to monopolize your time for their needs and not allow you to get to what, to do what you need to do, you know? And so, and then, and then she'll give like maybe some, some suggestions on how to get, you know, past those personalities. And, you know, each chapter just, and then at the end of the chapter, there'll be tasks. And I didn't, I mean, there's a bunch of tasks. There's way too many that I would ever want to do, which is great, you know, because then I go back to the book and I can pick a task and do it. And like, you know, the next chapter is recovering a sense of power and she goes over anger and how anger can be a positive thing. It can be fuel for our, if we turn it in the right direction. Right. And take and 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 turn it to to something productive. And so and so anyway, to kind of sum up, I'll go back to saying, you know, it was a crash course and a 12 week crash course in developing new habits. And now that I've had the crash course, you know, I'm kind of familiar with it. I can go back to the book and sort of you know, cherry pick things out of it to do. And I think a person could do that from the beginning. I don't think they have to have the truck crash course, but I really enjoyed being a part of, and I think that there's communities online. I think you can find Artist Way communities. I enjoyed being a part of a group who went through the 12 week process. You know, I, I, I think that was, it was really serendipitous for me to have that experience. I was, I was newly sober. I was like three months sober or something, When we started it, my wife and I did it together to have, you know, something for us to bond over. And, um, you know, it was just good for our relationship and it was good for for me as an artist. You know, it was just a healthy something healthy to do. I mean, you know, so which is always a good thing when you're trying to get unstuck, you know, you're trying to get into a mode of life where you can create making healthy choices is important, you know.
0: I'm like getting teary eyed, like listening to your story. I just, uh, I'm so glad that you're able to share it. And I know that right now you're really working on kind of rebranding yourself on social media. You're starting a YouTube, yeah, two YouTube channels. I know your your wife has a YouTube podcast, right? Yep. As well. And Mm -hmm. do you want to talk a little bit about the process of rebranding and kind of starting over?
1: Yeah, sure, man. I have a lot of experience with that. I have been doing this for a very long time, and the idea that, you know, at some point, you know, something's not whatever you're doing may not be working for you anymore. And you you have to make a new decision or a new choice. And um, uh, I've done that many times. And, uh, you know, with leaving the jam band scene and trying to find a better scene. When I got sober, I got into school, man, and I found the class, the education scene for music there. And, and I found that to be very healthy. You know, there was a lot of positive people and I got into classical guitar there. And um, I did about seven years of really in-depth study and I was planning on getting my master's at least, but it just wasn't financially a good choice for me. I already owed a lot of money and I was already in business doing what I'm doing, teaching and making money as a teacher locally. So I decided to not do the master's degree and I went back to work in Macon here as an electric guitar player. So I, I let go of like two and a half hours of classical guitar literature that I had memorized to go back to work as like a, an electric guitar player and and reinvented myself, Got went to work. I worked with a lot of bands for about seven years And I never found a group that I really vibed with, you know, it just it just never came together for me. I always was working with people that I liked the people and I'm but I didn't like the environments we were playing in. I don't like being out until three or four o'clock in the morning. I don't like being in clubs, you know, playing. It just gets old, man. I've been doing it for so long. You know, it just it just that, that gets old. I love the people that I work with. And the music that we were doing a lot of times was just cover music. It was like a job. You know, we're hiring you from the handout. We want you to do, We you learn your guitar part and show up ready. That's what they wanted. They didn't want creative input. They didn't want to get creative or be unique. They were all really, truly like cover band jobs. So I just never found the guys or gals that I could vibe with as an artist. And um, I had to stop. I stopped that because I got miserable. I was, I hated it. And when the pandemic hit, it took all of my gigs away and it was the best thing ever. I, I was so glad that the weight was lifted. And I know a lot of musicians did not feel that way. It was such a strange thing. I follow guys in Europe, you know, in Australia. I follow musicians in New York City and California. Everybody was at home, man. And it was weird. You know, it was, it was weirdly good because I felt a part of a community of people who are all experienced the same thing, but it was a hardship. But I did not go back to gigging. You know, I got an acoustic guitar and I decided I was going to study something new. And I chose between bluegrass and gypsy jazz. And I ended up choosing gypsy jazz. Um, So anyway, that was another reinvention. And um, I I just got back to basics. The idea of just playing because I loved it, not because it was a job and I had to go out and play at the local bar on Friday night and try to get my chops to where they were good enough to maybe separate me from the pack to hopefully get a better opportunity. That was kind of I lived in that existence for seven years and I was ready to let it go the gypsy jazz thing. I got hit to it and I really loved it for two or three years and I still am playing it. And just recently the gypsy jazz, I was, I'm sort of a novice at, and I had gotten to a place where it was really fun, but because of my intellect and my experience, I I was conceptually um, oppressed by the fact that I was relatively new at the genre. And I felt really inadequate, very insecure. And I started having these like attacks of what I call existential crisis moments, where for like 30 minutes to an hour, I'm like questioning my entire life, you know, and I've had them every time, like when I left the band scene and I was working here and I said I was working for cover bands. same kind of moments, you know, where it's just so like profoundly heavy that i, I got to do something to change. And so um, I went back to classical guitar and, and it just made sense. Like, I like to compose. I like to be creative. I'm never going to be like a, you know, probably will not ever make it to virtuos- virtuosic performance level with a classical guitar. But I can compose in that genre. I can compose in gypsy, the gypsies or la Pomp genre. And it's the the it's an, the, both of them are crafts that you only need one or two guitars to, to complete the craft right? I don't have to, um, I don't have to have a band. I don't have to have a bass player or a drummer, really just me and my guitar, really. And if I, if I can find somebody to play rhythm guitar for me on the gypsy stuff, then great, which I have a friend who's doing a little bit of that for me now. So it's really autonomous, right? I'm not dependent upon other people. And, um, I have the sort of wherewithal of knowledge that I like to see things completed. I've worked as a landscaper for a while. I really was a tractor operator and I liked sculpting the dirt, you know, and seeing when I show up at a yard and it's a new build or, um, you know, they want a horse riding rink built and it's just a big pile of mess. But when I leave, it looks like this beautifully sculpted dirt, you know, I like that experience. So composition really means a lot to me to be able to finish something, to see that it's done, to record it and to have it. And that just that like that's really all I need to blow my hair back and make me want to play every day. I can play 10 hours a day solely based on the fact that I love to learn and I love to compose and, and and never need another. I don't need anything. No other motivation. You know, I don't need a gig. I don't need some sort of like long arc and career thing. It's really about the love of playing and the love of creation. And that's the consistent, all the research that I've done for all the virtuosos, which I'm not saying I'm a virtuoso, but I like to study them like Julian Lodge and, um, gosh, the list goes on, Pat Matheny, Jim, Jimmy Herring, um, Andre Segovia, um, Roland Deans. I mean, just, you know, all these guys, I'll look up their interviews on them and listen to, and you know, it boils down to the same thing for every guy, no matter what genre and gal, most of the guys, ones I study are guys, but you know, the, the, the ones that I've studied, they love to play. They find this innate childlike drawn to the instrument and just the vitality of the of their passion for wanting to play, wanting to create the love of music is what keeps them going. And th- that's what I have searched for over the years. It's like when I'm in a really bad place, well, what is it that's making me miserable? Most of the time it's some sort of conceptual oppression, right? Like I've got to work, you know, I got to go play in this cover band or whatever it is, you know, I, maybe at school, I, you know, I have to do these programs or um, what has it has been in the past? You know, I don't even know. And to change that, you know, and find, well, what is it that I love about music and what is it I love and and how can I tap back into that? I've got a concert coming up in a week and a half and I've been sick for three weeks. My hands haven't been on practice. And, yeah, I need to get my athleticism up. But the thing that I really am finding that I need to do is do creative stuff. And but when I hit the stage, man, you know, the therapy's helped. I don't feel as much like a fraud anymore. And I want to be able to have that energy, that vitality, communicate that passion, man. You know, that's what's important. And so getting in touch with that, you know, not just hammering the pieces because, oh, my God, I've been sick for three weeks and I got to hammer these pieces out. You know, I've done that front work with the pieces. So it's now about like getting in touch with that love and passion and hopefully sharing that with people, you know, on stage. And not having a panic attack. In my therapy, we focus on a visualization and it's me having a panic attack on stage, which has happened way more than once. (laughs) And I'm sitting there and my hands are shaking like this and I'm having to play, man. You know, like classical guitar with your hands shaking like that doesn't work. Doesn't work with any style of music, but especially classical guitar, because there's so much fine motor skill that you have to apply. So so, yeah, it's I mean, I've struggled so much and this I'm so grateful that we met, you know, because you're you're what you're trying to do, I think is fantastic. I think this is, you know, there's so much good stuff out there with the Internet about these kind of things where artists need this. You know, we need to tap into some sort of community that knows how to deal with the plight of an artist and how it really conflicts with, you know, how many of us have had that experience when we were kids? Oh, you'll never make it as an artist. Don't do that. Go, go be a, you know, go be a lawyer or something, you know, go become a divorce attorney, you know, it's like, don't do art because you'll starve, you know, and you're not good enough. And, 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 you know, how are you going to, how do you expect to be as good as that guy, Picasso or Monet? You could never do that. You know I mean? We all have had. I think every artist has had that experience. I think, and so to you know, we need the community. I think in developing a some sense of like togetherness that that you know, so that so that we're not alone in that plight. You know, we have some fortification against the naysaying side of community that society that says artists are a waste of time. And that's really so silly because, you know, artists really hold up the pillar of our emotions and our our culture. That's how we transmit it. We're really proud of it. And we really love it. Everybody does has something they most. Everybody has some sort of artistic thing that they're really drawn to. And uh, so. But, yeah, we need each other and we need to sort of learn how to face the negative sides of this stuff. It's complex and, and it's. It's real and it's difficult. So I'm really glad we met and got a chance to do this. I mean, if I'm putting my two cents out there, you know, and um, I hope it helps somebody, you know.
0: I really think it will. I'm hoping that before we end, if you're feeling up to it, I'd love if you play something for us.
1: Yeah, sure. I'll play. Yeah, I have a website and two two YouTubes. I've got a new YouTube that I'm starting. My website is bobbyhallmusic.com. And um, the halls of music.com is my, my wife and I is like business that we we teach. And I have a lot of videos on the halls of music. I'm restarting over with all of that, which is might be a little bit crazy. But anyway, we'll see. Um, I'm trying to rebrand as more as an artist where the stuff on the halls of music is really teaching. and That's it. I'm trying to rebrand as an artist. And because I really love to compose, whether or not they're good or not. And so this is a composition that I wrote um, with the intentions of just really just, you know, the beauty of kind of jazz meets classical a little bit. And um, some of my favorite composers, I kind of borrowed some ideas from Leo Brower. Um, Not not really, but it's sort of inspired by one of his pieces called One Day in November. And this is called The Morning Mist. It's gonna be the piece that I open up with at the concert that I do because it's it's relaxed and it's relatively easy to play. So I can get over the stage, hopefully get over the stage jitters by playing something easy. All right, here we go. That's the first movement of a set of six pieces that I'm calling the Water Cycle, and I'm really just drawn to nature, you know. And I think the water cycle and these sort of big, powerful forces in nature that exist, and they're so subtle, and they they're, they're so vital to our lives, you know. And um, they it's, it brings vitality, and you know, to our world, the water cycle does so i mean these are humble compositions in comparison right (laughs) but i'm inspired so much by nature man i just absolutely love nature and um uh you know so yeah there's a it's a six movement piece and um you know i think the rebranding and where i'm at right now type of thing that's really difficult is letting go of the pressures of you know like social media and you know like i don't need to be a cover art artist and just do something for the sake of being putting something on youtube you know remaining true to the fact that i want to compose and i want to create my own thing and and staying staying strong and not letting the pressure social pressures that i feel as a you know as a musician that feels like he needs to be putting himself out there to not sacrifice my inner creativity for that, which a good example of that, that is very easy to understand is like playing in a cover band, which I did for seven years. You know, I'm accountable to going and playing some Allen brothers or, you know, whatever it is. And that music is not, not simple. And so I got to show up with my chops ready. And, you know, the time that it takes to learn the material and keep the chops going, how much time do I have left over to create and actually do my art? You know, that's that sort of that that person, you know, that self-centered and, you know, taking all your time, having to get rid of it, you know, let go of that. And uh, the pressure, I think, for with social media is for me is like, oh, God, I got to you know, I need to I, which I can play some Bach or some Rolandians or Augustine Berrios. But I need to be working on those material and gotta shed it. So it's really awesome. So somebody will t- notice me. You know, and and then the artist of me just gets left behind, you know, and and that's not healthy at all, man. So, you know, I'm trying to remain true to the fact that I'm going to create, you know, and I'm I'm 45 and I'm going to honor that. That part of me that loves to create because that's really what keeps me going, man. All these ups and downs, all this, you know, these really hard times. What gets me back into it is that that center of creativity, you know. That's it for me. For other people, it's different, you know. But I know where that center is, and I and I can, and that's I don't I don't want to sacrifice it, man. Because every time I do it, it you know I end up in a really bad place. <laughs> so it's a it's a great compass, you know. I just hope I can do it and pay the bills. That's the thing. Is I, I think
0: all of us writers, artists, musicians, we could all feel that we're like if I, we're simple people. We just if we could just make our. Our write, write our books, paint yeah. our things, make our music, and just have the bare minimum. We'll be happy.
1: <laughs> I think the idea for me is the is finding the happiness now. You know, like the philosophy of Urquhart Tolle is a good one. You know, he's got the Power of Now book, which is very clear. It's so simple. And, you know, the Buddhist stuff that I do is mostly through Thich Nhat Hanh. And I think that's how you say his name which he is very much invested in the present moment. You know, what is, what does this moment have to offer and what am I bringing to it so that I am, you know, really getting into the beauty of this particular moment. And, um, and, and that, that, that lends itself to the creative moment of now, you know, in a way where I can be happy now. And, um, you know, the pressure of paying the bills, man, is, is, a, is real. You know, I teach, and if I didn't have to teach, I'd play 10 hours a day, but I got to teach, man. So I can pay the bills and I, I don't mind it. Like I can be creative. I can bring that same heart that I have for music into the classroom and, and lend it to my, to my students. And, um, I can embrace someone else's music like it's my own. So that when I play it, it's convincing when I go to a gig. Um, you know, so I mean, my business plan for making money is to cover, but it's tempered with the idea that I I have classical material that I can present. I have gypsy stuff that I can, or I've heard that the La Pomp style, you know, um, Django jazz rep that I can present. And that's part of the sales pitch. But then the other, you know, that's a percentage of it, how it's about 50%, hopefully. And then 50% of it is me. You know, I mean, I, I like to sing and play. I have songs that I've written and I have, solo guitar pieces i have pieces that i've written in the gypsy jazz genre and so it's it's sort of like my philosophy i guess sales pitch for that as a musician is present the things that people will understand and identify oh he's playing bach oh he's playing Roland dns oh he's playing maybe the entertainer or something you know or a little bit of nashville guitar and it blends the cultures in a way that gives people a frame of reference but then present myself Instead of whereas before I play in a cover band and they don't want to hear who I am. They don't care. They just want me to learn the 60 songs that they want to go play in some dingy little bar, you know. And man, I just can't I can't do that anymore, man. And that's that's the you know, the balancing act. I you know, there I wish I could remember the guy's name. He's a he's a writer and he talks about writing and how being an artist is like we're an island. And we're creative over here in the island and the island is separate from regular society, which says you must conform, you must do something, you know, you have to do it this way. And then the artist becomes, makes something that the regular society says, oh, yeah, we like that. Now you must create more of that so that we can buy more of it. We want more of that, you know. And so it's then like integrating ourselves in a way where we don't get crushed by those Maybe a lot of us have day jobs, you know, and then that might make it simpler. Just have a day job and then every other moment is just spent doing art instead of having to try to figure out a way to make your art into something that's a viable product.
0: Your story, just even though I'm not a musician, um, like I I really connect with it. So, again, I I appreciate you um, sharing and I really think that it'll help a lot.
1: Well, I hope I hope it helps somebody. I hope that. You know, the more more people out there talking about this kind of stuff, the better, man. Because Mm -hmm. we, we need each other as a community to to stay strong and to and to to stay lifted up and positive for sure.